Psalm 122. I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek you prosperity. Morning. At first glance, uh, Psalm 122 very much feels like a psalm for now. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And over the past little while, I've heard so many people come to me and share with me, I just want to be together on Sunday mornings. I just want church to reopen. I just want to worship. And if I'm honest, one of those people that has been saying that has been the man in the mirror. It's been me. I'm one of those people. And, you know, At the start of COVID, pastors and leaders like me were saying, you know, the church is a people. It's not a building, so go out and be the people of God. We were saying God is not restricted by your location. And I think we were right to do this. I was right to do this because as we moved away from our practice of regularly meeting together, we needed a vision, we needed a calling, we needed a reminder And so, yeah, the church is a people, not a building. And yet, I think that what myself and many other soul shepherds like me have been rediscovering over these past six months is that, yes, the church is a people, not a building, but it's a gathered people. It's a group of people who have agreed to go through life adhering to a shared worldview with Jesus Christ right at the center. And as we do this, we draw strength from each other. We draw purpose from each other. Um, and as we, see, as we see the gospel of God's grace played out in each other's lives in real time and real space, we are encouraged by each other and we're challenged by each other and we're reminded by each other. And when we don't have this, we get squirrely. We get restless. We get depressed. We get sad, we act out, we get angry. And I've been getting angry. And this surprised me, but this is how I've been manifesting my squirreliness. You know, on the same day this week, I found myself apologizing to two different, uh, to two different people. One I was able to, to hug it out with, and the other was over, was over video chat. So when I read this verse now, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. It makes me feel emotional. Sometimes it makes me want to cry. Because this is what we want. And this is what we're missing. Now, in the past, this was just a verse in the Bible. Because I knew that Sunday was always coming. There was always next Sunday. Always next Sunday. If I miss this Sunday, there was next Sunday. But now, this is life, right? Right? 
longing for Psalm 122 verse 1. And so I want us to lean into this longing uh, right where you are in front of whatever screen you're in front of. I want you to feel that longing uh, and that hunger for community. I want you to see through the eyes of the pilgrim as he or she enters into Jerusalem for their three times a year journey and As they walk in, someone grabs their hands and they say to them, hey, let's go worship God. And I want you to lean into that and I want you to imagine that because you are the pilgrim. And then as we work through this message, I hope that we can see beyond the physical reality of that moment and into the deeper longing that this represents. Okay, just a brief note about structure, okay? As we're looking at Psalm 122, I want you to be thinking past, present, and future, okay? Past, present, and future, this is how it looks, okay? Um, Verse 1 and 2 is the psalmist reflecting on a past experience as he's standing in the gates of the city, and then verse 3 and 4 shows what the psalmist observes now, and then verse 6 through 9 are the prayers for an ideal future, a hopeful future, okay? Verse 1 and 2 are the past, verse 3 through 5 are the present, and verse 6 through 9 are the future. Now, Wendy and I went to Rome last year, and we, and we walked out of the train station, and there in front of us was the Colosseum. And I know I've already told you about this, but it was incredible. It was mind-blowing. It was uh, it was historic. It was huge. And we were there, and Wendy cried, and this was just one of these wow moments. And in verse 1 and 2, the psalmist is having his Colosseum moment. He's having his Niagara Falls moment. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. So what is it that he sees? Well, verse 3 and 4 tells us what he sees. He's looking around and it says, Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. I hope you have this image in your mind. That's where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. So he sees crowds. This is where the tribes go up. It's the gathering place. It's the watering hole. It's the place of grace where everyone is on the same level, where everyone is in need, and where everyone gets what they need from God himself. You know those moments in youth conferences or on mission trips or ladies' conferences, whatever, where you are gathered you know, together with tons of other believers all in the same place and you're worshiping God and you don't know them at all, but just being there in that place is so encouraging and uplifting. You know, just shoulder to shoulder, worshiping God, singing songs. It's, it's incredible, right? You're all pilgrims traveling to one location with one purpose, which is to worship God. And it's incredible. And that's what's happening here. 
uh, Deuteronomy 16 verse 16 tells us how often the people were to show up at Jerusalem. It says, three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the festival of unleavened bread, number one, at the festival of weeks, number two, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Verse 17, each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. So this is a place of worship. It's a place of gathering. Look at what it says. It says, it says uh, that, verse 4, that is where the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord. Why? To praise the name of the Lord. So it's worship. Worship is right at the center and the heart of what they are doing. But it's not just worship. Okay, verse 5 um, shows that as the psalmist is looking around, as he sees all these throngs and crowds of people, all the tribes of Israel, he looks around and there, you know, you know over to the left or to the right, I don't know, he sees uh, the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Now, 1 Kings 7 verse 7 says this. It says that, it says that Solomon built the throne hall, the hall of justice, where he was to judge, and he covered it with cedar from floor to ceiling. And so the psalmist is looking around with eyes wide open. He feels, you know, the press of the people as he's, as he's heading towards Jerusalem, as he's kind of drawn, drawn along in the tide of the people. And he's feeling anticipation and excitement. Then over there, he sees the thrones of judgment. Okay, so what does the worship of verse 4 have to do with the, with the judgment of verse 5? What does worship and judgment have to do with each other? Actually, quite a lot. God is worthy of our worship because he's a just God. He's worthy of our worship because he is a just God. When you worship God, you are worshiping a just God, like it or not. In fact, a God who is not just is not worthy of our worship. If, if God, say, played favorites, or if he changed from one week to the next, if his, if his temperament wasn't reliable, we couldn't worship him. We could fear him. We could maybe tiptoe around him and try, and try our best to avoid him. And if we weren't able to avoid him, then we could try to not upset him. So we could fear him, but we couldn't worship him. Because worship means declaring that someone is worthy. And if God is inconsistent and unchangeable and unreliable, then he's not worthy. But if he's just, if he's reliable, then he's worthy. And when we worship a just God, something happens in us. We start to live justly. We start to care about justice and righteousness and looking after the vulnerable and creating a society in which justice is important. And that's why the thrones of justice or, 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 or the thrones of judgment, these thrones of the house of David are an important part of worship because a society founded on the justice of God is a just society. This is a society in which God is worshipped. Now I love Genesis chapter 18 verse 25 because here we see a human being keeping God accountable if you can believe it. 
Uh, and what he's doing is he's keeping God accountable to the justice of his own character. Let's read it. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of the earth do right? And the answer to Abraham is, yes, of course he will do right, because he's a just God. Now, maybe the psalm or or the writer of Psalm 122 had had a bit of a rubbish year, maybe He's been taken advantage of. Maybe he's lost his savings and a crooked investment um, through no fault of his own. Maybe he's been thrown off his own land. Maybe he's felt alone, uh, like he's fighting a battle, like in Psalm 120. Or maybe he spent the last little while on pilgrimage, feeling vulnerable, like in Psalm 121. But now it's Psalm 122. He's arrived. And so there's relief, but there's also those residual feelings of being in a battle from Psalm 120 and feeling vulnerable, like in Psalm 121. And so if you were to put yourself in his shoes, if you're in that place where you're feeling embattled and vulnerable, what aspect of God's character do you need to be reminded of? That he loves you? Sure. That he's merciful and gracious? Maybe. That he's just? Absolutely. We have this concept in our minds that God is 95% worthy of our worship and then there's this 5% judgment thing on over here on the side and you know we kind of have to take you know the bad with the good but The Bible is clear that God's authority and power and right to judge us is the thing that makes him worthy of worship. His authority and power and his right to judge us is the thing that makes him worthy of our worship. And so he's 100% just. He's 100% our judge and he's 100% worthy of our worship. And so we have this psalmist, we have this pilgrim who sees the thrones of judgment right before going into worship God in the house of the Lord. And in his mind, there's not a conflict. In fact, the reminder that God is a judge and that God, the judge of the earth, will do right causes the pilgrim to worship. Okay, so let's review. The uh, psalm, or, or, yeah, the psalmist has been grabbed by the hand in verse 1 and 2 and told, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's not wait. Let's not dilly-dally. You can souvenir shop later. You can say hi to your relatives later. But let's go worship right now. And on the way to the temple in verse 3 through 5, the pilgrim is reminded that worshiping God unites us and that God's judgment and ethical standard and his trustworthiness uniquely make him worthy of our worship. And it's as the pilgrim witnesses, you know, the gathering of the people and the worship, and it's as the pilgrim is reminded that God is the judge of the earth, and this is, it's as all this happens that he's uh, mobilized and motivated in his heart to start praying for future peace, for future security, and for future good in verses 6 through 9. Okay, listen to me. When we choose to worship God, when we choose to remind ourselves that we are worshiping, uh, in the words of Psalm 145, um, 
a God, a Lord, who is gracious and compassionate, who's slow to anger and rich in love, who's, who's good to all, who has compassion on all that he has made, uh, who's trustworthy um, in all he promises and faithful in all he does. When we know that we're worshiping that God, then we start to enter into this ideal future, into this preferred future of peace, security, and goodness. And that's when we start to pray this this, uh, preferred future into being. Verse 6 through 9, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your, in your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity, your good. This is what we want, right? All of us, everyone on earth wants peace and security and prosperity. And this vision is what the psalmist is praying into being. Verse 9 says prosperity, and I think sometimes we can misunderstand this word. It's not talking about financial prosperity. It's not about owning land or owning houses. It's not, being, it's not talking about being successful in the world's eyes. Um, you know, the New American Standard Version translates this word prosperity as, as goodness, and so it means thriving in, in God. It means experiencing God's goodness, not just surviving through life, but thriving in life. And so peace in God, this is our prayer, and security in God, this is our prayer, and thriving in God, this is our prayer, right? And also, you know, to keep in mind that this word Jerusalem, right, this, this psalm is all about Jerusalem. And this word Jerusalem has what's known as an eschatological sense. It has a future sense. It's a symbol that, that this city, although it's a physical city, it's also a symbol of God's future reign here on earth. And so as he's praying this, the psalmist knows that his family and friends' well-being is tied up with God's future kingdom coming to earth, right? Verse 8, for the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you, O Jerusalem. Peace or shalom, God's shalom, God's sense of uh, rightness, everything coming together with God as king. And so he knows that the peace and the security and the prosperity of those that he loves is tied up with worshiping God in verse 4 and trusting in God's judgment and justice, verse 5. And so I think, you know, if, if we were to sum up all of these thoughts, I would say that a reasonable summary of verses 6, six through 9 would be Jesus' prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 16, verse 9. Okay, before I close, let us uh, retrace our steps back through the psalm. Okay, the psalmist, uh, or, or the psalm ends, the psalm culminates with the psalmist praying towards um, a future ideal of peace and security and prosperity, of thriving. And then the, uh, you know, and the psalmist understands that the, that, that the spiritual success of him and those that he loves is absolutely interwoven with God reigning as the king. 
And so how did the psalmist get to this place of praying grand future kingdom prayers? He did it by worshipping God and by trusting in the present justice of God. And how did the psalmist uh, start worshipping and trusting God in this way? Because someone came to him and said, let us go to the house of the Lord. So friends, let me ask you this. Where are you located in Psalm 122? Are you praying? Are you actively praying for God's future kingdom to come here on earth? Are you located right there? Are you interceding for God's idea of shalom and God's idea of security and God's idea of prosperity to flood our church and our community and our neighborhoods and our nation and our world? Maybe you're there or perhaps you're not there yet. Maybe you're choosing instead. Maybe you're, you're, you're here in the present and you're choosing to worship God right here, right now in the midst of the struggle and the hard times. And you're trusting that God is a good God and that he's a God of justice. And you're experiencing you, you know, the beauty and community and unity of simply focusing on God and worshiping God. Or maybe you're standing in the gates. You're unsure. All of this is a little bit overwhelming if you're honest. And you're not really sure how to start. You're in the gates and you're hesitant. You're not sure how to proceed. And so what you need is someone to grab your hand and say, let's do this together. Let us go to the house of the Lord. Let's start this journey together. You see, every journey starts with a step and then another step and then another step. That's how journeys work. And so if you're a verse one to two person, if you're standing at the gate, then let me tell you uh, that a glorious experience of God's worship and God's absolute perfection awaits you, but you need to enter in in order to experience it. And if you're worshiping and you get who the Lord is, you understand who, who he is, then, then I encourage you to let God lead you deeper and to give you a grand vision of God's kingdom coming. A kingdom that was inaugurated when Jesus died and rose again. And a kingdom that even now, through the Holy Spirit, uh, is, is, is being created. And a kingdom that one day will come in its fullness when Jesus returns and, and you can be praying to that end. So how do we enter in? How do we start singing this song that leads us to worship? How can we start rejoicing with those who said to us, let us go to the house of the Lord? Well, one option is Church 414. I'm hoping that even now as you're watching this, a number of you are in each other's homes watching this together. And even now you're, you're understanding what it means to have your need for community met. And you might have masks on or not. You, you might be physically distanced or not. You might have lunch or coffee time planned after the service or not. But you're there with each other, and you're there because one of you said to the other, let us go to the house of the Lord. Well, maybe not in those words exactly because that would be weird, but, but someone did the ask, and that's awesome. You did it. 
And, then, and so now maybe there are some of you, you're at home alone and you're thinking, okay, I need to do this church 414 thing. I need to do church for such a time as this. This week I need to call someone. Great, so call them. Make it happen. And then another option for uh, entering into the gates is church outdoors, which will be taking place next Sunday, 10 a.m., at the back of the church, and we're excited about it. And so I ask you to sign up. Make sure you sign up at nogrowshow.ca, nogrowshow.ca. Now, legally, our numbers are limited to 100, so don't wait too long. Now, Church Outdoors is, is us saying to you, let us go to the house of the Lord. And Church 414 is you saying to each other, let us go to the house of the Lord. Or maybe Psalm 122 verse 1 for you is Tim Horton's church. It's calling up a friend. It's arranging a time to do coffee or lunch. So why not go to the house of the, uh, uh, of the Lord at Tim Horton's? And while you're there, don't just talk about stuff. Don't just fritter away the time. Instead, talk about important stuff. Ask things like this. What is God showing you at the moment? How are you keeping yourself encouraged? Who is influencing you right now, both positive and negative? What are you reading? What are you listening to? Where do you need God to show up? How can I pray for you? Now, I know for some of you, um, actually sitting down and having a spiritual conversation, quote-unquote, might feel like the weirdest thing. And you might feel strange asking these sorts of questions. So let me remove the burden of weirdness from you and place it on myself. So hereby, I give you the permission to invoke my name, to roll your eyes and say, Dan gave me this homework, to sit down with someone and ask these questions. And I know it's lame, but he asked, and so I guess that, we should do it. Just to shut him up, is, is that okay with you? So let me absorb the awkwardness of maybe having a conversation like, like that. You can blame me. I'm okay with that. And so as I wrap up, let me say this. That the Psalm 122 pilgrim was there in Jerusalem. And he was there because he chose to be there. He traveled for multiple days on end in order to be there. And this meant taking a vacation from work. This meant leaving home. This meant paying for accommodation on the way or maybe sleeping in the hedges. All so that they could be in the place where someone could grab his hand. Also that he could be in the place where someone could grab his hand and say to him, Hey, let's go to the house of the Lord. Now, I wonder who didn't have someone say to them, let's go to the house of the Lord. Well, it was the person who stayed at home. Friends, if we're waiting for community to come to us, then, but we're doing absolutely nothing about it, then it's going to be a long wait. We have unrealistic expectations. We're ignoring how life works. If we're longing for joy, but we're doing nothing to be in that physical place of community where biblical joy takes place, then we're, then we're no more than little birds sat in the nest with their mouths open saying, feed me, feed me, feed me, and feeling the uh, hunger of an empty stomach and wondering why we're so hungry. 
The psalmist had to get off his rear end and travel across country to be in the gate of Jerusalem where someone could teach him this song that would lead him into worship. So let me ask you, who are you surrounding yourself with at the moment? Who are you allowing to influence you? Who is speaking into your life? Have you allowed circumstances or Satan or yourself to talk yourself into isolation Or are you in the city gates? Have you located yourself in the place where someone can grab your hand and say, come, let us go to the house of the Lord? Are you with people who invite you into God's presence? Are you looking for ways to do community? Are you being creative? Are you singing this song that leads to worship? This song that says, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord.